I want to introduce you to somebody this morning that I met this year, actually met in January. We were in Texas, uh, leadership team of the church signed up for a, a cohort group. And, um, Beth and I flew down to Texas for the first meeting. And I need to let you know something that's kind of out of my, um, my wife would tell you it's out of my personality, um, uh, to do things like this, but, um, I don't really, I don't, I don't really go out of my way to introduce myself to people. I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not standoffish. I'm just, uh, a little bashful maybe. And that may be hard for you to believe. But, um, when, when pastor, uh, Toby Slough stood up and, and gave his testimony, we had already started this, uh, process of the biblical counseling center. And I felt like God said, man, you, you got to get over yourself and go talk to him. And, um, and so, uh, I had to do a little pep talk to be honest with you. Like, Hey, just stop being an idiot. Get up and go talk to him. So I did. And I went over and talked to him and I said, Hey, would, would there be any chance you could come to this little place in West Virginia and, and help us? And, um, uh, and, and he was nicer than I thought he was going to be, to be honest with you. He was like, absolutely, absolutely. And so, um, been in contact with, with his, his daughter working out the details and, um, to get them here. He's a pastor, the founding pastor of, um, Timber, Cross Timber Church in Abilene, Texas, giant church. And now he's a legacy pastor, which I'm hoping to be the legacy pastor one day. Um, uh, but just has an unbelievable story of God's grace and something that will legitimately help you and help you raise your children this morning. And just to let you know, if you've got a, if you're a family with a child 10 and under, um, if you have them back in the kids area, we're going to give you a uh, children's book he wrote. We're going to give that to you this morning and we want you to have it and, um, and it'll help. And so, um, could you, could you just give a warm Hedgesville welcome to Pastor Toby Slough from Cross Singles? Well, I grew up a long way from West Virginia, New Hampshire. I grew up in Southwest Texas, in a small town southwest of Houston called Angleton. My mom was an elementary school math teacher and a librarian. She gave me my first B in fifth grade. I'm still trying to get over it. (laughs) My father was a Texas high school coach. Which is a long way of saying we didn't have very much. But it's okay, nobody in my town had very much, and so we didn't know any different. And the summers were the most wonderful time of the year in my family because my parents, being in public education, were off, and they were very creative in finding ways for us to spend time together. I did two things every summer. Uh, We went to the Astrodome, like over and over again, all summer to watch the Houston Astros play. Not because I'm an Astros fan, Go Rangers. Uh, but because it cost 50 cents to park and a dollar to sit in the general admission seats in the outfield. And we would take peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and a jug of water. And for five bucks for three and a half hours, we had family entertainment. We watched the Astros lose 30 times a summer when I was a kid. 
The other thing we did was we went to the beach. The beach was 15 minutes from our home. Uh, Surfside Beach is the place where I grew up. You can look it up. Uh, my Aunt Blanche had a beach house. Now, don't think HGTV. Think shanty a mile off. But it's hard to beat free when your parents are in public education. And we would go there and stay for a few days. And I distinctly remember when I was eight years old, we had gone to the beach, come back to the house for a couple of days. We were eating dinner that night and our phone rang. Now, if you're watching, whether you're with us here or in one of our campuses and you're a next generation person, we used to have phones that plugged into the wall. I mean, I know it's, and, you, and I know what you're thinking. Well, what if nobody was there? You didn't talk to them and it was awesome. But the phone rang, mom answered it. I heard her gasp and scream, oh no, dad ran in to comfort her. Dad was not a very emotional guy. Did I mention he was a coach? And uh, I walked in and said, what's wrong? And they told me that one of our family friends had died at Surfside Beach that day. Drowned. In fact, we had, dad told me later, eight of our extended family, church family, or family friends that died on that beach in my growing up years. And I said, Dad, how do you drown? He was surf fishing. And I watched those guys surf fishing. And, you know, they're in water up to here. And that's when my dad taught me about the undertow. This unseen force that pulls you in places you would never want to go. And if you don't know how to fight it, You will run out of strength and be overcome by it. And then my dad, being a coach, he did this my entire growing up. It's why I do it now. He said, hey, son, look at me. This is why we're always careful at the beach. Now go to bed. (laughs) So I went to bed. Anybody an overthinker? Raise your hand. Two hands if you're charismatic and an overthinker. How many of you? Some of you aren't raising your hand. You're thinking about whether you're an overthinker you are. Well, this little overthinker got in bed that night. I laid there in bed and a thought came to me. I wonder what it'd feel like to drown. Would it hurt? Or would I just go to sleep? Hmm. If I drowned, what would my funeral be like? Who would come to my funeral? I started getting mad at people that weren't coming to my imaginary funeral. (laughs) Now, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I didn't know it. I was living it. That if you meditate on a thought long enough, the possibility in your mind and heart becomes a reality. That's why you need to turn off the news and read the Bible sometime. And I went to sleep that night, a little eight-year-old boy, tears running down my face, praying this prayer, please, God, don't let me drown. Please, God, don't let me drown. Having no idea that for the next 51 years of my life, that would be the number one prayer that I would pray. Not drowning in physical water anymore. I haven't been in past my ankles since that day. True story. It's irrational, very real to me, and get over it. You can't talk me into it. I ain't doing it. 
but no drowning when it comes to my mental health. So let me just get it out of the way. My name is Toby, 59 years old until Tuesday. I'm going to tell you something. I love Jesus with all my heart. I mean, I really, it's not a church thing for me. It's a Tuesday thing for me. I believe every word of the Bible is true. I've given now almost 40 years of my life to teaching it all over the world. There is not a day before my feet hit the ground that I don't ask God to fill me with his Holy Spirit. I, I am well aware of my inadequacy and insufficiency without his power at work in my life. My wife, Micah, who is here today, and I've been married for now 38 years, and I mean, we do our best to walk by faith. We don't get it right, but we talk about it. And what does it mean to walk by faith? And we try to make decisions through the lens of what, what does it mean to be a person who trusts God? And for almost 30 years, I have battled an anxiety and panic disorder that God has not seen fit to heal me from yet. And church people don't know what to do with me. Because I don't fit in the box of the tension between loving him and fighting this battle. Some of you might want to go grab a late breakfast if you were planning on hearing someone talk about the three steps to never being anxious again or never going through a season of even panic attacks again. That My story is not a story from the past. It is a story of now. And it's a story of discovering what Jesus really offers. See, nothing in my life changed until my target changed. My target was the absence of something. Jesus offers not something better, he offers freedom. Freedom is not the absence of something. Freedom is the presence of someone in the middle of something. Until my goal was to find him in the middle of it and not to not experience it, my life seemed to be three steps forward and two steps back. And I tell you that story as we begin for two reasons. One, I, I need you to know that I have a 30-year degree in something nobody wants to go to school for. And number two, I know what I'm talking about. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm not the most, uh, the greatest theologian, but I know about this battle because I've lived it and I've learned some things over the last 30 years. And my goal today, quite honestly, in the next 30 minutes is twofold. One is for those of you who are battling, because if you look to your left and your right in this moment, wherever you sit, unless we are a statistical anomaly, 
one and probably both of those around you at some level battle anxiety, depression, or generally feeling overwhelmed by life. And I want to help you. I want you to see that it's possible to live in freedom and to truly enjoy your life without God saying yes to this prayer that you and I pray every night. And then for others of you, there are some of you who go, I just don't get it. That's just never been my deal. God bless you. Seriously, God bless you that this has not been a thing for you. But I believe you want to help other people who are struggling. I really do. I think your heart is to help. And I don't know you. uh, And I'm getting on a plane today, so I feel free to say this. (laughs) But lots of you, you're not helping. You're making it worse, not better. Well, that's not my intention. I don't care what your intention is. Intention does not determine direction. And I'm going to show you how to help others in a way that your heart really wants to help. Is that okay with everybody? Now, I need to give you a little context because I understand, especially with this topic, how out of context I can be taken. And so I need you to understand a couple of things about me. Number one, I believe in therapy, Christian counseling and therapy. I believe it. I'm so excited about what we're celebrating here today. I think it's courageous. I think it's honorable. And I think it's way too rare (coughs) to see churches invest their ministry dollars and their energy into the Chicago fire of our generation. And uh, I, be- I believe, I'm going to tell you something, I believe that you're a trailblazer, sweet lady. I believe you are leading the way that there will be hundreds of Jesus-loving, trained, clinical specialists that will give their life to the kingdom like this over the next 10 years. I believe it with all my heart. Uh, so I believe in therapy. I, I, I mean, I've, I've seen therapists through the years in different seasons peeling back different layers of the onion. You come to North Texas and you'll find boats all over our lakes that are called the SS Toby. I paid for those with my credit card over the years. I've seen therapists. Number two, let's get this out of the way. At the risk of alienating some of you, I believe that I believe in medication and I believe it's ridiculous that the church would lead anybody to believe that taking medication is a lack of faith. I, I just, that's crazy to me. Like, look, if you broke your leg, God is going to heal your leg, but you won't tell the doctor, don't give me a cast. I'm just going to trust God to fix my leg, right? I tell people all the time, if you're a diabetic, trust God, ask for a miracle and take your insulin, right? God brings healing, but God also brings resources around us that get us in a position to get healed. Just remember for those of you uh, who feel some guilt about medication in your life, that, that voice is, not, number one, that voice is not from the Lord. And, but number two, remember this, that medication is a resource. It is not your source. Jesus is your source. Jesus is your source, and he gives you the resource of medication to get in a position to hear his truth that ultimately changes your life. So whether you're, Seeing a counselor, whether you need a counselor, whether your child is struggling, you're not sure whether you can help them, 
or whether they need something beyond your ability, uh, whether you're on medication, whether you're not. At its core, the battle for our mental health is a battle between what's true and what feels like it's true. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Certainly service, y'all know this. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But do you realize that a lie believed has the same power to put you in captivity that the truth does to set you free? So at its core, this is a battle between a truth and a lie. It's a battle between what God says is true and what feels like it's true in the moment. So how many of you have struggled financially, relationally, vocationally, physically, emotionally, any of those ways, and you prayed and you've been so beat down, you feel like your prayers haven't gotten past the ceiling? How many of you? Some of you need to go to a class on denial, but for the rest of us, (laughs) we say, man, I just don't feel like my prayers get past the ceiling. I have got great news for you. Your, Your prayers don't have to get past the ceiling. Jesus isn't past the ceiling. He's near. He's near. He's the king. The message of the kingdom Jesus established under a new covenant was the kingdom of God is within your reach. One of my favorite passages is the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. But I know what you're thinking, but, but Toby, it doesn't feel like it. Hey, you need to feel your feelings. I'm not against feelings. You need to feel your feelings. You don't, don't push them under a, a, the rug and act like they're not there. Uh, I have people tell me all the time, oh, I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't feel this way. Oh no, you should feel what you feel. Don't push it under the rug. And for God's sake, for everything holy in, in this planet, don't cover it with some religious jargon in your life or somebody else's. It's damaging. You know what destructive is? Don't let your feelings be the steering wheel for your life. They'll take you in the ditch every time. Feel your feelings, just don't let them drive your life. That's what your battle is. And when I am in a season of this battle with anxiety or even in a season of battling some panic attacks, at at its core, there there are some things that I know here to be true. But it's got to be in here too. And that's a long way away. Does that make sense? So can I give you three, three lies I think we all fight when we find ourselves in the middle of these battles? Would that be okay with everybody? If you'll talk back to me, this will go faster. I promise you. Okay? Number one, I want you to write this down. One of the biggest lies that we fight is that, well, there's, I call it there's something wrong with God lie. It's it's said like this. Well, the Bible is true for everybody but me. The Bible doesn't work for me. God doesn't work that way in my life. We come to, to church or we gather in a group and when we believe that God can move, we just don't believe he's gonna move in our life, right? Oh, God can move, but that hasn't been my experience. I, I guess God just doesn't work that way in my life. It's built out of this lie that when good things are happening, God is close and blessing And when struggles come, that means God is a long way away, right? 
And you go, well, I just, uh, I just don't think the Bible works for me. And I want to suggest to you that maybe you ought to read the Bible. Open to the book of Daniel and go read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three teenage boys who refused to bow before an idol. And what it got them was a death sentence, death by burning. And as they build the fire, the boys are in captivity. What do you think they're saying to one another? They're not saying, this is awesome, it's going to be in the Bible someday. They're asking God to kill the guards, bring a rain shower. You know, this is what they're praying. And God, does God do it? Where did they meet Jesus? In the fire, not around the fire. Next chapter, Daniel. More afraid of not praying than getting thrown in a pit with a hungry lion. In the end of that chapter, a pagan king of a pagan nation is issuing an edict that Jehovah God is the God above all gods. Because of what God did in the pit, not around the pit, and see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Don't you dare strip away his humanity in that moment. Most Christians don't have a problem with his deity. It's his humanity that we struggle with. Hey, by the way, the reason we struggle with it is because it doesn't let us off the hook. We can't use a, yeah, but he was Jesus. See him saying, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Come, keep watch with me. This is the king of kings saying, I'm struggling. I need my friends. Man, why do we think we can do it on our own? And see him face first in the dirt asking God to not make him do it. Do not rush to not my will, but your will be done. Sit in that moment and you tell me you haven't had a face first in the dirt moment where heaven was silent. Or go to the next chapter where... One of the seven things he screams in pain is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've had people say to me, well, that's because God turned his face. That's not in the Bible. That's an old hymn that we sing. It's not theology. The fact of the matter is Jesus is in so much pain, he is convinced that God has forsaken him. And I'm suggesting to you today that what you read when you read in the Bible from Daniel to Jesus is that your struggle is a signal of the beginning of God's work in your life, not the end. He just doesn't do it the way I want him to do it, and it drives me bonkers. (laughs) But it doesn't mean he's not at work. We know in all things, God is working together for the good. You know why Paul had to say all things? Because all things aren't good. (laughs) the God is at work but here's the big one the big one that I hear more than any and you need to understand I spend 80% of my time on the road my wife and I do uh, taking this message of what God wants to do for people who are battling so I've been literally coast to coast I've been in rich churches poor churches democratic leaning churches republican leaning churches White churches, black churches, Hispanic. I've been in every kind of church out there. And the struggle that people have, the biggest struggle they have is, well, it must be my fault or what I call there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. The the reason we struggle, quite honestly, is because the capital C church has kind of reinforced that idea through the years. Can I let you in on a little secret, you folks who don't struggle but know somebody who does? 
no matter what we say to you at its core, it's shame and condemnation that we fight the most. And when you infer to us that we ought to just pray harder or read the Bible more, it doesn't make us feel better, it makes us feel worse. My own, I was telling your pastor last night at dinner that, uh, you know, my goal when I come into churches, for the, especially for the leaders, is I was a lead pastor, a founding pastor of a church, as he said, for over 25 years. And, like, I want to make their job easy, not hard, as leaders here. So my, my goal is to be the most low-maintenance guest you've ever had. I only have one non-negotiable, and it is I'm going to go and sign books after this service. And it's not because I give a rip about signing books. It's because I want to talk to you. And people line up with me in my line. And, and I watch them because there's moms and dads and their kids want me to sign their old book, and, which I think is awesome. And, but then there's always men, and they're always men of young kids, almost always. And they come, and they're always a little more emotional than normal. And they end up telling me this. That somewhere that their dad told them that they'd never amount to nothing or they were a loser when they were a kid and they haven't been able to shake it. I have young moms tell me that their moms told them that they weren't capable or that they were unattractive and they can't seem to get out of that cycle. And I tell all of them the same thing. Hey, I'm really sorry you heard that. But your mom, your dad, they were wrong. They don't have the right to define you. The only one that has the right to define you is the one that created you. In fact, since I have the mic and can say whatever I want today, at least in one service, let me say this. I think that almost every issue that we are wrestling with in America today, at its core, it's an identity issue. Who are we really? Who did God create us to be? Not who do we feel like we are. But who does God say that we are? And the problem is, well, I mean, I'm going there. Let me just go there. The problem is, man, I love the fact that the Bible says I am more than a conqueror. I just don't like conquering stuff. Right? Uh, My battle is not who I am. But that's a constant battle for me. How many of you have a life verse? You know, like you have a life verse. Like this is the verse, it's the theme of my life. Thank you, man. We got one person here. It's awesome here. Um, I ask people what their life verses are everywhere I go. And it comes down to three. I'm more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Or nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Those are great life verses. Here's the problem though. You don't get to pick your life first. Your life first picks you. Y'all want to know what mine is? Again, say yes. This will go quicker. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I won't read the whole thing to you. It's Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul, the greatest missionary this side of the cross, the greatest church planner in the history of all church planners, said... That God gave him this gift, and it was a gift of looking into the third heaven. Again, I'm not a theologian. Your pastor will explain this to you next weekend. But he's looking into the third heaven. He's got this gift. And, and, and to keep him from becoming conceited, God, 
God allowed this thing he called a thorn in the flesh to come into his life. Now, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. I think it's on purpose. Why? Because, see, the purpose of the Bible isn't for you to read it. It's for the Bible to read you. And so God wants you to see you in the story. But the greatest missionary this side of the cross, the one who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, prayed like he had his top prayer. The Bible says three times I pleaded with the Lord. We don't know if it's a literal three. When the Bible uses multiple times, it's God's way of letting us know he did it over and over and over again. And then here comes my last verse. But he said to me, no. My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. So my life verse is of what I've wanted the most over the last 30 years of my life. God has said no. Anybody want that on a coffee cup? <laughs> or, In fact, Paul says, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. God, Paul said, I'm going to walk into rooms and my goal is for you to go, man, God must be awesome because that dude is jacked up. <laughs> Paul, in Paul's life, God used his lowlights, not his highlights, to do his greatest work. Could that be possible for you? Could it be the very thing you're running from is the very thing God wants to leverage to advance his kingdom in your little corner of the world? And it will never happen. I don't care how much therapy, how much medication until you give yourself to the discipline of reminding yourself of who God says that you are and getting your identity right. Now, some of you as parents, I'm just because I'm not doing a parenting workshop here because of other things happening today. Let me just give you a little hint. Those of you who go, oh, that's not important with my kid. Look at me. Everybody on the planet is trying to tell your kid who they are. Everybody is telling them what matters, what makes them important, what makes them significant. You better get your voice in there early and train up a child in the way that he should go. You better teach them. You better correct back to identity behavior. Like the number one tool that I have had for 30 years in my battle against anxiety and panic disorder is something called the 40 I am's. I was struggling about 17 years ago. I was in a season where I was really struggling. I called a pastor in another state who's an older guy because I was done with the isolation thing. Isolation, that little voice gets louder and louder. You can't get away from it yourself. And when some well-intentioned person like your wife says, just don't think about it, that doesn't help. It just makes you angry. And I called him and I said, I don't know what to do. And he said, go Google the 40 I am's. 40 I am's are simply 40 statements about who God says that you are. From the Bible, here's who God says that you are. And... uh he said, go Google them and then go get you some, go get you some index cards, write them down and then say them out loud. Go get by yourself somewhere and say them out loud. And, uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a moment, but we're going to, I'm going to give you these. This is why I'm, this is, I think they're so important. I want to give you a copy of them anyway. So I, I get index cards, go to the drugstore, write them down. My wife comes home. She's driving the back driveway of our house. I'm sitting at 
a picnic table and I'm reading them off. I'm crying and I'm slamming them down. I'm just saying them and slamming them down. And she's looking at me like, what is going on? And uh, I'm declaring by faith who God says that I am. And people say, well, which ones were you picking? The ones I had the hardest time believing. Like saying something that doesn't feel like it's true, that's not hypocrisy. It's called faith. What happened in this room when this band was up here this morning? And we're singing what we're... Look, this, your room, wherever you are, is declaring something to be true even among people who don't believe it. It brings God's presence when you declare what's true even when you don't feel it. And for the last 17 years as I've traveled around this country and around the world, I have not gone anywhere without those 40 IM cards that I wrote 17 years ago. They're covered in dirt and snot and tears and disappointment and anger and hope. Look, I'll be 60 on Tuesday. Look at me, everybody. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. To not need to regularly be reminded of who God says that I am. I never graduate from these. We've given away over 70,000 of them. I got tired of putting them in boxes and shipping them places. Running out of them and people asking for them. So that's what this is. I, 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 may, I took, these are kind of in the King James version, you know. And I, I made them in the very language I use with them. And I want you to have them for free. I really do. Just get that QR code or uh, have somebody younger show you how a QR code works. I don't care how you do it, but get your QR code and, and we'll send you them free. And you, you know, you know what my, if you look at my watch today or if I, my wife has my phone, but you know what my phone says right now? My screensaver says, I am stronger than I feel right now. And I look at my watch and it says, I am a child of the king. Because everywhere I go, I want to build muscle memory that reminds me of who I am. You are who God says that you are. You, you have a position in the kingdom. Okay, and we, we, now this is important. Look at me, everybody. I know you're getting the QR code, but stay with me. Look, you have a position in the kingdom. It's those 40 statements, right? The problem is you have a current condition. I am a conqueror, but I'm not conquering right now. I'm kind of losing. Here's what the world will tell you. This, trust me, start looking at it. It's going to make you mad. Hey, the answer to the tension of a position being here and a condition being here is lower your position to match your condition. This is what we're, this is what they're tempting us to do. This is what happened to your kids' schools. I don't care where you live in America. This is what's happening. Hey, just lower your condition to match your position. And God says, look, freedom is the fight to raise your, let your position begin to determine your condition. There's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with God. He is at work to make you what he said you were in the first place. Stake my life on it. Number three, quickly. I think for a lot of us, we really believe that God's plan for our life is positive progress all the time. Look, if you are breathing, 
I know your pastor has taught you this. Just bear with me. If you're breathing, you have been called by God. God called you. And as he said today, please don't hear me say you need to come work at a church. That's not what a calling is. We need people who understand they were called to be plumbers and electricians and doctors and teachers and administrators and accountants and understand that like the neighborhood or apartment you live in, you didn't pick that. God planted you there. The Holy Spirit is in you. You're a th- you are a thermostat. You're not a thermometer. The spirit in you, God planted you in that neighborhood, in that office complex, so that you might bring the kingdom to bear in that place. Like, it's exciting to think about, isn't it? You don't have to be a weird, some church weirdo. I mean, you don't. I mean, I don't know where somebody got the idea that to be a real, to be a, a Christian living his calling, you gotta always listen to Christian music and have a fish on the back of your car. I mean, if you have it and you like it, that's fine, but you don't have to do it. I feel God in Garth Brooks songs. Sue me. I mean, it's just how it works. Uh, But you have a calling. And when God gives you this calling, you get stirred to fulfill your calling. What do you do? You make a plan, Chris. Of course you make a plan. We're supposed to make plans. Jesus said, who's going to build a tower without a plan? But here's what happens. It doesn't ever go up and to the right. And when the plan doesn't work, you start confusing your plan with God's calling and you throw the whole thing out. It wasn't his plan. It was your plan. So go ask him for another plan. So I was pastoring a church almost 30 years ago that had quintupled in growth. Had this beautiful woman as my wife. I'm a testimony to if you get one good woman to make one bad decision, you're set for the rest of your life, man. (laughs) Had a seven-year-old daughter, a five-year-old son. Everything in my life is going great. And we laid down in bed one night and my wife, who, again, did I mention how much I love her, whose head... Like she is in full rim before head is fully compressed in the pillow. And I can't stand that about her. And she's dead asleep. And I sit up in the bed. And my heart is beating fast and I'm sweating. And my hands are shaking. I don't know what's happening to me. Now I know what you would say. Oh, he's having a panic attack. This is almost 30 years ago. I never heard the word panic attack. I'd never heard the word depression. I didn't know anyone who had ever been to a counselor. The only word I'd ever heard was nervous breakdown. At family reunions, and I had a great Uncle Jimmy who had a nervous breakdown and thought he was Jesus, took, went buck naked and walked down the middle of our town proclaiming him to be Jesus. And I say that, one, because it's funny to say buck naked in church. And y'all to figure out, can I laugh about that? Yes, you can laugh. But two, my picture was crazy. Like little guys in the white suits pick you up, put you in the back of a truck and take you off and you're never seen again. And I thought I was going crazy. And so I got up and I started walking the little hall of my house. Cause that's what men do. You just walk it off. Did you tell your wife? Of course not. Do you remember that little seven year old boy who imagined worst case scenarios? 
If I tell her she leaves me, she takes the kids, I lose my job, what am, I'm going to be homeless. I mean, I, I'm gone all the way there. I don't tell her anything. I walk the hall of my house. I lay down on our little sunken living room floor, had one little step, put my head on the bottom step, had an eight-track player. Again, next generation, I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> had Phillips, Craig, and Dean, Mercy came a-running, had it playing, and would beg God, please do something. And heaven was silent, man. And, and it would start coming up again. The wave would start coming again. And I'd feel like I was starting to drown. I'd get up and I'd start walking the hall again. All I knew is I had to be back in bed before 6 a.m. Because at 6 a.m. my little ranch girl wife got up to get ready for the day. And she couldn't know that I'd been walking all night. I did it for 17 days. People would come to me and say, Pastor, you look awesome. Are you working out? And I, would, I wanted to tell them the truth. No, I'm throwing up. Because I was. So you tell me, what does a pastor do who is struggling, going crazy, who will lose his job and his family? He believes if he tells somebody and deep down inside thinks it's his fault. What do you do? How do you get out of it? I decided to get in my car on Thursday, a little pickup truck. And I got it up to 75 miles an hour on I-35, and I was decided I was going to hit a bridge abutment. And it was the only way I could get out of it, and nobody would know I'd done it on purpose. And Micah hates when I tell that story, but some of you think you're kind of discounting what I'm saying so far today and going, well, he doesn't know how bad it is. I do. I've been there. I, I, I know what it's like to fool yourself into believing the world would be better off without you. I know what it's like to look at pictures from past Christmases and cry and say, I'll never be happy like I was then. My life will never be good again. And if God would not have given me a picture of my wife saying to my seven-year-old that daddy wasn't coming home, I wouldn't have swerved. And that was my moment that led me to do the thing that I didn't want to do the most, which is what some of you need to do. I told the truth about where I was, not where I wanted to be, to the person I loved the most. And that began me on this journey of discovering what freedom really was. In good days, I would tell Micah that I was going to travel the world and write a book and give people a picture of what a healed guy looked like. On bad days, I told her I was quitting because the church deserved a stronger pastor than me. At the 20-year birthday of our church, our staff was after me to write a book about everything I'd learned because I became known because of some TV stuff I did as the anxiety guy. Come on, everybody, look at me. Who wants to be the anxiety guy? I wanted to be the blessed life guy. I was the anxiety guy. And they wanted me to write a book, and I didn't want to write it. And you young married guys, look at me. The sooner you figure out in your marriage who's labor and who's management, it will go better for you. And management, who is my wife, said, hey, I think you ought to write the book. So I wrote it. This is the book. It's called Not Yet. It'll come up on the screen. And it's just lessons of what I've learned the 20 years of this journey, right? And the only hard thing was the last chapter because the last chapter, my publisher said it needs to be good. How many of you know when somebody tells you it needs to be good, what happens? Right. And so I'm struggling. And so I I have a research assistant. She's awesome. Her name is Google. And I went to Google. (laughs) 
And I kept thinking about swimming upstream, you know. And so I said, what's another, what's another fish other than a salmon fish that swims upstream? And I learned about a goby fish found only in Hawaii. And at a point in his life, when the tides are right, it leaves the ocean and starts swimming up these rivers off the big island of Hawaii, up these streams until it gets to waterfalls. And when it gets to waterfalls, it starts swimming up the waterfalls. How does it do that? As it swims upstream, its bottom jaw grows out. It gives it leverage to grab the rocks. It physiologically, it changes. Listen, when the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, it means look at the kingdom you can see that he created to understand how the kingdom you can't see works. And I just, I, like I just stopped and the hair on the back of my arms because I had that on my head, just stuck out. And I said, that's me. The very thing I was running from, ashamed of, was the thing God had used to shape my life. And so as we launched the book and I launched the series, I decided I need to tell somehow the story of the goby fish. So I went back to YouTube and I YouTube, true story. How do you draw a fish? And I found a seven and a half minute video on how to draw a cartoon fish. And I took two legal pads sitting at my bar, not the bar, that's another message, at a, my bar, my house. And I traced it and started and stopped it. Called my creative team and said, hey, I'm gonna tell the story of a little fish named, and I'm gonna name him Toby because it rhymes with Gobi and it sounds like Jesus to me. And they said, you can't draw a fish. And I sent them this picture and said, sure I can. I've been on YouTube all day. (laughs) And I told the story of Toby the Gobi that basically says this to your kids. Number one, you can do hard things because God is with you. See, I grew up in the don't be a baby generation. Rub some dirt on it, son. Put that bone back in. Don't be a baby. But now that was hurtful, right? No, you know what you guys are doing of the next generation? You're not, your kids aren't the don't be a baby. It's, oh, you poor baby. We, our kids have no resilience because we're taking away all the resistance. You can't build resilience without resistance. It is hard. Tell them it's hard, but they can do it because God's helping them. But they have to keep their eyes on the sun, number two. And number three, most importantly, help other people along the way because in giving to others, you will be healed. So I told the story and we, my daughter-in-law, who is a graphic artist, her dream was to write, to illustrate a kid's book and COVID hit and we had some time. And so this was born. This is what your kids are getting today. And I want you to look at me, everybody. I know I'm hustling. The thing has gone viral. Who would have known that over 75% of the kids in this country would be struggling with anxiety or depression or feeling overwhelmed by life and that the best we had to offer were fidget spinners and weighted blankets and they ain't working. And so now my wife and I travel the country and we release this book in Spanish in Costa Rica. And we have plans to release it in Hindi and in India and in five dialects of Farsi in 20 eight and a half years ago, I'm trying to run into a bridge, man. You, you hear what I'm saying? And I got this picture about six months ago, this next picture of this little boy who believes that something's gonna get him at night. He's eight. And he, you see what he's got there? He's taped up, picked out five of those 40 I am's that he wants to read. Oh, his mom reads them over him and he wakes up and looks at him in the middle of the night so he can get through the night. That's my oldest grandson, Gideon. This is my legacy right here. Can you imagine 50 
year, 51 years after I'm laying there, ask God not to make me. This whole thing, Chris, was about him. It wasn't about me. It was about providing tools for him to connect to God's power because God knew he was going to be here. And the one who could help him the most was his papa because his papa knows how it feels. Do you get this? You have a legacy. You fight to be optimistic, to believe, to do the hard work, to trust God, to hope that tomorrow is different. You pray your guts out. You tell the truth about where you are, not where you want to be. And God uses you to do crazy stuff, man. This is the gospel of Jesus. Or just keep doing it the way you're doing it. I don't, I don't think that's how you want to live, is it? I'm 59 years old. I've been married for 38 years. I have two kids that love Jesus who give me five grandkids that are learning to love Jesus. I have a great life and I battle anxiety and panic. The joy of the Lord is in my life. I'm not selling you, I'm telling you. Don't listen to principles. Look at a picture of somebody who has gone to hell and back and still walking. The only way you lose is if you quit. Y'all with me today? Can I pray for you? Can we just bow our heads for a moment? Father, would you come? How many of you struggle? I'm crying like a little girl up here. Can y'all raise your hands if you're struggling? Okay, you guys that have your hands up, look around the room. You're not the only one. That's a lie. There's more hands up than are down. We're in this together. We get through this together. We help each other along the way. Father, would you come in power? Would you use this place to draw men and women, boys and girls to you? And may people walk out the day to day out of this room today, not informed, but transformed, full of hope of what the future could hold. Thank you for freedom, Jesus. It's in your name we pray it. Amen and amen. Toby and Michael will be out in the upper lobby there if you want to take a few minutes to, uh, to get a book. Um, don't walk away from this quickly. Don't walk away from it quickly. Let it sink into you. Um, God is in the midst of your struggle. Amen. Father, we thank you so much this morning for your word to us. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. Thank you for your strength. And God, we pray, Lord, that it would manifest itself in our lives for the benefit of others. Use what we walk through to minister to other people. And we will give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, could you say amen? Amen. We'll see you back here next week. Go up there and get a book. Talk to Joby.